That lovely song you heard was Radiation Blues from Radio Fireflies by our guest today, Devin, who is part of his solo project, Anxious Kids Make Good People, or AKMGP. That's right. And you're the second member of my alma mater to arrive in the podcast. And that alma mater is SUNY Nopal. It's a college that definitely chugged out a heap of musical talents. And whether they were a member of the music department or not, I think that it had a lot to offer. I think it has a lot to offer the world, and I'm very glad to sort of follow their careers closely, almost voyeuristically, perhaps. Well, I'm very, very glad to be here. Ah, uh, well. We appreciate you making the trip from Nopal. It's not a short trip, for sure, so. Yeah, a two-hour bus ride. Yeah, that's not, not the worst I have. I'm from Buffalo. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. oh, oh, yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. why we had to get you now, because <laughs> sooner or later, you're going to be very far away. Yeah, that's two hours from everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Center of the world, they say. Yeah. Center of the world, huh? Yeah. Really? That far? Right with really? the old people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like, and I, I've never been to Niagara, and I always wish to travel to Niagara. How, how many minutes are you away from Niagara? Uh, I can basically spit and head it. It's like 15 minutes. That drive. is freaking awesome that is wow. pretty cool actually niagara is gorgeous i went to the canada side for a bachelor party years ago yeah. and it was awesome wait that means second member of my alma mater to go by the great lakes region because tony catalano is now over in milwaukee oh that's right he moved i that's forgot right. about that that's right forgot he moved quite, quite a distance away but that's the other side of the great lakes region <laughs> yeah. still the great lakes region though right on uh, green bed anyway Back to Devin Jackson Mullen. You yourself are a talented theater major, a talented actor, and a well-learned individual all around, but most pertinently, you're a self-released musician on Bandcamp, and that's where you can find all the work under Anxious Kids Make Good People. And you arrived today not only to promote your latest EP, Radio Fireflies, but, as all our guests do, to provide the album analysis of the week. Um, now, before we get into that, just a real question. How did you come up with the name Anxious Kids Make Good People? Ah, uh, well, you know, like most, uh long names for things there's a story behind it uh i, I definitely suffered from uh, social anxiety which i feel i'm sure everyone at this table has at some point that's in their true life. yeah that's yeah um, still do yeah funny how close angst is to anxiety well it, it actually has its uh roots in existential philosophy there you angst, angst is the fear someone feels when they realize life is the result of their choices 
And I imagine, I imagine a lot of that comes through even just the tone in which we introduced the podcast with. And we'll get a lot more into that uh, after today's review. But you brought us um, an interesting album called Nocturne by uh, Wild Nothing. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that, why you brought it, who he is. Sure. So Wild Nothing is actually a Virginia band uh, fronted by this guy Jack Tatum. And I remember I was using the Spotify Discover feature uh, a couple summers ago. And uh, the title track, Shadow, really caught me. Mm. It's uh, What's really interesting about this album is it's kind of in the midst of this current trend of uh, 80s you know, revisionism. And we've seen a lot of that on oh, our oh, many yeah. weeks here. It's we've discussed it, yes. Yep. It's definitely the flavor du jour. But I, uh, initially with the album, I really liked his takes on it. Uh, you know, there was... It had all the, the quintessentials, the hooky guitar riffs, the great bass, the airy, disaffected vocals about loss and love and all that good stuff. Yeah, and it definitely reaches back to, to a lot of the great elements uh, from 80s. And we, since we you know have seen it so much in our many weeks, we take the good with the bad. There does seem to be a fascination with the time period amongst uh, amongst sort of this this interesting time that we're in. And actually, John has mentioned this in previous episodes, that it's a result of something called, the, what is it, the 30-year rule? It's a 30-year rule. It's it's in it's not a firm rule or a concrete idea. It's more of a theory. We'll call it the 30-year theory, um, to go scientific on it. It's every 30 years, things come back. And it's primarily because, well... People 30, get nostalgic. Yeah, and 30 to 40-year-olds can afford to be nostalgic. Yeah. And that's the crux of it. And it's more important to point that out today than I think uh, some of our other albums. Because often we just find like these little almost courtesy throwbacks to the 80s. But this seems a real more well-rounded homage. Um, so, everybody ready to get into it? Oh, yeah. All so, right. the first track is that track that uh, Devin was just talking about, Shadow. Um it starts with a, an interesting like kind of droning effect. Yeah, it's sort of like an ethereal crescendo. It starts us off, this is very warm, like basic A-flat major just to set the tone, and then all of a sudden we just dive headlong into the hook, which functions as our chorus. And I noticed that it's interesting for this opening track, we really don't have a, a, a chorus per se, the chorus is the hook, and it's just a pure instrumental hook. It really doesn't um, amount to anything else other than that. But it has the character of what I would call maybe a more unmistakable indie rock tone. Yeah. But within that very wide generalization, there are some, some certain little things to note. The main riff, for instance, I guess we all heard that was very just... Very steady. S- very steady. It, it was there. But it, it, had an, it had this addicting quality to it. It was very catchy, and I think it, it's... At first, it seemed like it could go repetitive, but the thing is, once it blends with all the other instruments, and there was bass and drums and vocals, all of it together really kind of made that guitar just what it was a rhythm kind of keeping time for the song made it the character interestingly yeah and it was backed up by some really fun bass and that was the first thing that truly stuck out for me on this song the bass it's not a forefront piece but it's definitely raised at a little bit higher level than what i'm used to um and having it being a little more punctuated to be both smooth but still have statements to say outside of just keeping rhythm made it an enjoyable part and something I could easily latch onto with the song. And it ultimately sets the tone for the rest of the album. All these songs are very, uh, unfortunately by the end, a little formulaic, but this sort of sets this precedence of beautiful rhythm sections which really anchor it. And then the beauty from the songs come from uh, these solo instruments around it, whether it's the vocals or in the case of this song, uh, this beautiful string arrangement. 
Yeah, and and that's that's the main culmination. Now, that, honestly, it's the part that I didn't really expect here because I it, this is the kind of track. The second it begins, I basically just expect it to you know go on its routine. We're gonna have our hook. We're gonna bounce back to the verse, and that's pretty much just gonna be the pattern. Maybe a more courtesy instrumental, but what started here as a more courtesy instrumental, kind of like opened itself up. The strings step in, and for maybe eight measures, they just sort of pleasantly glide over over these these you know, the main uh, group that we've had, the, the main backing riff. And then all of a sudden, it seems as if it, st it's a, like real composition enters here. After those eight measures, it's not just this, this beautification of the whole in which we're bound to, you know, snap back on cue. It starts opening up into these the uh, great harmonies going on here. And it seems to almost have a character unto itself, almost freeforming for a, a certain few measures until we inevitably do go back on cue but for a minute there it seems like the whole track has just taken a breath well yeah that's what i like about this song so far is even though it does kind of fit a pop structure he lets it breathe it's very airy the strings really make the song and it's still with his voice and the construction of the track and how it flows gives it a very sweet overall vibe it's very unassuming very kind of light-hearted and just kind of chill even the pacing lends yeah. to that like the the rhythm that sort of just accents right on the beat that whole one and two and three and four and and it's at kind of a jogging pace yeah. you know hence you could almost see it as the perfect thing for an iPod one thing that also sets it apart is the fact that it doesn't have a firm chorus not a vocal chorus it's more of a musical chorus to have that to complement the verses does set it apart a little bit different as uh, a little bit different than your standard piece it, it adds another layer to the complexity he's putting in here the my favorite part, though, is definitely going to be the outro. Um, it revisits the strings. It really does spice up the guitar as well. This combination does a lot to really show the composition of what the artist is doing here. Well, I mean, the thing is, the outro wasn't like so impressive to me that it really like, overshadowed the middle instrumental. But it, it, to be fair, though, it's sort of like... It's it's a little bit of an expansion on because it added that that existing guitar that suddenly decides to join in with the strings, which was an interesting move. It just felt that that was less of a breather. We were certainly winding down at that point. Um, but the funny thing about this track as a whole is that it has this like veneer of positivity to it mm -hmm. that I feel is kind of like hinge. It has this twang of melancholy that I th I think relies on the fact that it's all built around like C major seven C sharp major seven excuse me like when you have that that major seven feel that especially as an opening track again veneer positivity but that seventh is just like enough to add a little bit of complexity to the situation that you feel like there's something lurking in the background it's sort of like a tasteful way in my opinion to foreshadow for a pop track I mean, you know, in that regard, it's absolutely uh, littered with '80s characteristics. I mean, you look oh, at yeah. uh, the Smiths. You know, they're incredibly remarkable for that. These uh, very cynical, miserable lyrics, mm -hmm. uh, surrounded by this very upbeat, sort of happy music. Indeed. Uh, you know, and then the string sections even they 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 harken back to me to uh, Echo and the Bunnymen and Crystal Rain. I don't know those upper artists, but I, I'll take your word in that regard. I mean, yeah. the thing is, everyone has their own, like, 80s artists that they can just, like, fire off the cuff. For me, it was Men at Work, and though I didn't make the comparison in this track, oh, it comes up later. Oh, yeah. uh, and I fire off obscure 80s references, as when I made the podcast stop for Baltimore's Tarzan, Tarzan Boy. Boy. Well, they're not obscure, really, Just a little bit. Yeah, but I was right, so it worked. But they're not obscure. I want to point that out. They're on YouTube. You can find it. That's true. It's not that hard anymore. It's not that esoteric. Come on. Well, I didn't know them. That's okay. I think here we should go and actually mention the vocals and the lyrics. So the vocalist 
What I really like about this vocalist is it's reminiscent of bands, more modern indie bands, like I mentioned Phoenix. He's got this very light, kind of breathy, very sweet voice. It's not intimidating, it's not aggressive, it's just kind of very easygoing, and it kind of washes over you. And the lyrics do the same. None of them are really, especially in this song and others, they're not super dynamic and and intense lyrics. They're just very airy and sweet, light lyrics, like the vocal style. There's a sense of it being a little bit introverted, you know, it's, yeah. it's taken kind of a backseat position. But I also noticed that because you use the words, you know, wash over you, that can sometimes be a negative thing. Like, I noticed that in this track, I made a real distinction between, like, the verses really weren't grabbing me that much. I enjoyed the hook, but I was waiting for that instrumental. The verses, you can almost forget about the vocals. I, I, I want to hear the lyrics, and, you know, sometimes you have to have either the book jacket or one of the various internet websites providing song lyrics in front of you to really like capture the meaning that he's trying to convey. In this it's challenge, case, if he doesn't. In this case, I'm I'm going to be a little more on the positive. I think it's more of the brush strokes of the verses that he that he uses his vocals. The meaning less so. The meaning itself, it's just supposed to set a fairly even tone, a very simple stage that we're working off here. Well, let's look at some of these lyrics because that kind of goes back to uh, my observation about this like you know veneer of positivity with that little twang of melancholy. Look at the first uh, verse. Oh, why is your hate so addicting? Well, I wonder where you've been. I don't see you often. I try to feel something for you, but that's all I can do. Give my shadow to you. Do you ever see me at night? And does it please you at all when you head up the wall? I'd go with you if you had asked me to, but we wouldn't get too far. Two strangers in the dark. There, I, see, I see the poetry creeping through here, but it strikes me sometimes as, as that kind of, you know, high school poetic, you know, coming into his own, for sure, starting to realize what life is all about, but he... he gets only so far as maybe to come up with a couple of really good metaphors that seem appropriate, but never to really, like, capture the reader in their entirety. Instead, it's very personal, but I'm still really okay with that at point, at a point, at this point, rather. It's, it's the place that he chose to be. But one of the lines in there I feel is very personal, and it does set a pretty interesting picture. I would give my shadow, I will give my shadow to you. I mean, like, your shadow is yours. Like, that's a very personal thing to say, even though it's very metaphoric. Also, it just, it paints a really interesting image, almost a Peter Pan-esque kind of image. Something you can have that no one else can. Yeah, and you want to give it to them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's also, to be on the metaphor side, it's a reflection of what you are. Or merely your placeholder in the world. It can be seen in some ways. A shadow is also inseparable from the person who owns it. That's true. It, it's inseparable, but it's also antithetical to what the person is. That is you know, a also true. Yeah. A person is an extant three-dimensional object. The shadow is you know, an obstruction of light on a two-dimensional plane. This <laughs> is so, the opposite. So, I the mean, shadow, the, the reduction of who you are, in a sense. Yeah. So, you know, the way I read that was more, I'm going to give you something that is in every way the opposite of me, because maybe you'll take right. that. That's fair. That. that is yeah. very fair. Actually, that does make a lot of sense, too. But, I mean, I still see the kind of, like, like pivoting back and forth between this, like, you take that opening line, oh, why is your hate so addicting? And it's just like, okay. It, that I, does feel very kind of high school. That line. Yeah. yeah, so in a sense, I almost want to say perhaps there's a there's like an over overstatement there or you're o overly reading into it. I, I, I want to believe that. And, and believe me, you know, we go through this podcast and a lot of times we love to just like superimpose these things. At the end of the day, you have to wonder how much it was on their mind. You need like the, the supporting evidence um, it, from a textual standpoint. Um, but abstract, abstractly, I, th I think it's, it's, it's a good theory. <laughs> um, from here, I guess we can go on to the second track. Yeah, tr uh, 
Track two, Midnight Song. I'm going to start off by saying this is one of my favorites on the album because in many ways, this even furthered something I already kind of liked in the first track, that the nature of that hook, the hook step forward in the first track and it's like, okay, it's got this addicting quality to it, but maybe as the track goes on, you realize that's pretty much it's all, the only trick up its sleeve. But it takes a real talent to come up with a simple melodic refrain that is used repeatedly as a motif, as a riff, and make it uh, progressively and systematically um, like addicting. And this just captured it. Because just to start here, we're still like in indie rock territory. I would liken the overall sound here to something more recent, like The Killers, rather than stuff from the 80s. But then again, The Killers kind of reached back to the 80s a lot in their work. But then that hook stepped in, and it's just, it's, I could have listened to this for years. That's how, that's how simple and how beautiful that, that, that simple melodic line was. It has uh, similar pared down natures as Shadow, but here, I feel like it's just more of a, of a textural exploration that's going on. He's not really adding any new elements musically, not too many elements instrumentally. He's just being a little more playful. Where we had a fairly rigid structure in Shadow, here there's experimentation. He's introducing the same instruments, but also allowing them a little more limelight. Well, maybe in a grander sense, but if you're just looking at that hook, it's almost like you, there's very little um, embellishment here, very little intricacy. Instead, it's just it's just astute choices. For instance, that hook, the melody there, rather, the guitar melody, it's centered around E major, and then the hook, it just teeters between... E major and the relative minor C sharp. And the melody over that begins on the second degree of E major and almost like hinting at a ninth there, but makes its final move at the end of the phrase by the time the chord has already sh shifted down to C sharp. And it makes the move down a, a flat sixth, more of a less used melodic interval, down to D sharp. And there it lands on the minor ninth of the C sharp chord, which is, is, is where we're at at that part of the phrase. It's it's this gorgeous melodic motion that I don't I don't pick apart enough because very often melodies are the kind of thing you can forget in in the course of a track. They're they're pitched almost as this central figure. It defines your character, but that's usually when it's the vocalist. And then the discussion tends to turn more toward the quality of the vocalist and the delivery, and then you incorporate dynamics. There's very little dynamics here. It's all just intervals and I don't know, stickability. And speaking of vocalist, here it's a little bit weaker, and this is... Once it once the verse starts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once the verse starts. And one of those is the rambly nature that's really going on here. The, the lyrics almost read as a wall of text. It's less about the actual inflection. It's less about the actual meaning of the words. He's, he's more using his vocals as an instrument, and it's not coming off as a main instrument. It's more of a rhythm piece that's going on, and that's something that's... Definitely a little bit of a detractor, especially considering Shadow. I really enjoyed the brushstrokes he was painting. Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a shame. I mean, I I kind of have made it very clear from the get go that I'm really more about this hook than anything else. But to be fair, this is not the same deal as the first track. It doesn't like reflect the same uh, reproduction or or copycatting of the hook being your chorus. You do have an additional chorus here. It's just unfortunate that it retained most of the character of the verse, and I feel like even there, I wasn't quite hooked. I was hooked on the hook. Go figure. I mean, at the end of the day, this is absolutely, uh, you know, just looping back to the lyrics for a second, this is, this is not a uh, strictly literary poetic statement of an album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what absolutely makes or breaks, you know, any of these songs is the presentation. 
you know, and I, I think as we get into the review, we'll definitely see that a little bit more. Yeah, well, and by the time we get to the to the to the vocals themselves, they start delivering. You know, I I admit there's more there's more emphasis on delivery there, and I think it was a lot more uh, a lot more colored than the first track, um, just in vocal delivery. Even though I might prefer the the hook and the and the synth when it enters and the guitar when it enters, her voice is still very very nice. I just I don't know. That's not. It's not what it seemed to be promoting. You know, a lot of times songs are constructed in such a fashion that they hoist up certain sections. They, they, they're the parts you wait for, in a sense. For a lot of people, that's just an over... Assume that'll be your chorus, but I don't believe that's the way a lot of artists approach it. A lot of times, choruses are, are, are almost the filler, in a sense, and you wait for the bridge, you wait for the hook, you wait for all these other moments. And I feel like this was... He went into this picture knowing that that, that melodic uh, riff was going to be the... the the pivot point well it's a good thing we had that because as you're we saying the vocals while delivering something that's kind of beautiful the lyrics i mean heart in your heart it was falling from the start though i tried i was always dead inside yes yeah, very this is, very come on. high school yeah mm. um this is something we we <laughs> not to not to uh implicate this at all but you of course their age matters sometimes you can't avoid it that age matters and how old is the guy, Devin? He, he was 21 when he 21 released 21 when he released this. And it also should have been said that this is a semi-throwback album. We usually try to keep our albums like in complete present day, you know, 2015 album. But this is this is 2012. We're not reaching back far. Certainly, this is not a retro review. It's still something that was made to, to exist in the same period that we're living in right now. And it was meant to hold up even for as much throwbacks as it has. But for a 21-year-old guy, I appreciate almost, I appreciate a lot of the post-production work here going on. I mean, he's the sole composer. He does, he writes everything, he produces everything. Really, the only, the only additional element is just when he goes on tour, he needs some help, right? Well, yeah, he, he was definitely the, uh, the brains behind the project. Yeah. But uh, initially when he was working, he was sort of, you know, doing the DIY recording thing. Yeah. And this was actually his first album where he had studio time and experience. Uh, in an interview about Shadow, he said uh, with the string ensemble, it was something he was incapable of doing. Mm. So the, the so the real, yeah, the nitty-gritty composition, he needed a little bit of help. And also just writing for additional instruments that you might not be familiar with, that always, you know, you need to port that out. Well, I mean, I, I think undeniably there's, uh, you know, in all these songs, for good, bad, or otherwise, the, this kid's voice is in it. Yeah, and, and voice is the kind of thing, I mean, you know this even just like from opera singers that are touted at six years old or something ridiculous like that, you know. Sometimes there's just that vocal quality that I think is the exception to the rule. That's where sometimes you don't need experience. Granted, of course, it helps if your parents, you know, stick you into really, really high-end programs that are going to, to make you stand out amongst the masses. But vocal quality really does, at, at the end of the day, it's just, it's quality. It's, a, it's something unique to you, and it either works for your audience or it doesn't. You were either born with it or you're not. He's got it. So then that takes me to my point, and that's really more the experience that goes with it. And, and anchoring this back to the lyrics, it seems, I, I, it's not that I'm implicating, you know, that the lyrics are born right out of something that speaks to his age, but perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. I, it's also kind of a fact of the genre. I mean, pop music is not always supposed to be this sort of intellectual exploration. Not to disparage That's it. That's true. But at least lyrically. You know, it's... Uh, it's meant to be digestible. It's meant to be thoroughly relatable to as many people as have access to it. Right, and and you can absolutely have exceptions, but I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I have to tell anybody, you know, just look up, you know, a lyric sheet for any, like, top 40 hits. It's... Yeah. Know, 
Though curiously, on the way over here as a tangent, uh, Steve and I were listening to 92.3 because I felt like being a sadist, and we actually heard a funkish pop song on the radio. Yes, but I still am convinced that may have been a mashup, and we don't know yet. We don't know what it is. <laughs> what Sound song Hound, was it? Soundhound we... failed us. Exactly, and that's yeah. why Slash it's Shazam. going to haunt me to the IN days. Delightful story, John. Moving on, though, uh, we should get into the third track, Nocturne, which is the title track of the record. Um, which immediately this song reminded me of a band that Steve and um, Steve and our friend Pete got me into, Phoenix. It mm. still had kind of an indie sound, but heavy synth, which is what Phoenix is mostly known for. And it kind of had this wavy flow to the structure of the song. And this is also that belated moment when I mentioned, uh, you know, Men at Work, it was coming up. Oh, yeah. it came in here strong. Uh, this is that sort of open, like, it bombards you with 80s tones here. You know, I've been able to safely say that the previous two tracks were like an indie territory. This was the part where I realized gradually that this was more so than just an homage to the 80s. He was really kind of like living in the time period. But to be fair, I liked it in the beginning. I really kind of accepted this use of 80s throwbacks more so than I think we usually encounter. It seemed, like, usually it's so, like, tired, so cliche, but this was very collected, meaning there's, like, there's not specific tools that it banks on to fulfill the to fulfill the time period, to fulfill the, the unit, the, the atmosphere. Instead, it's just the atmosphere. It feels very natural. And one of my favorite parts of it, which does kind of bank on 80 tones, the keys underneath accenting the guitar work, it's almost a cliche. But the way it's being used, I, I'm just enjoying it. It, it seems like uh, an extra person in the room just kind of interjecting, adding a little bit more energy than what I'd expect from this musician thus far on the album. I think that also the song, it kind of has this contem contemplative but subdued kind of fit to it. It was definitely a lot more reserved than the last two tracks. Uh, that's, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and it could be argued that it's also not as standout-ish. I mean, that yeah. kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what you just said. Uh, so, you know, it was an interesting because this is that, that case where, like, the title track almost, like, fails to live up in a grander sense. I really enjoyed the groove, but it's sort of like a back-and-forth. Like, I find myself really just more enjoying the atmosphere than the content here. Like... I was a fan of New Wave. I, I often think that bands who further the New Wave genre, because it seemed to be put to bed for a while, you know, New Wave is such this, this character thing of the early 80s, and then all of a sudden it just fell off the wall. Like, I, I don't understand that, because it seemed like there was so much more potential there. Granted, we were talking about uh, David Byrne of Talking Heads earlier, and he really seems to have tried to push it forward, but I don't think he's been able to successfully carry it in the 21st century. Oh, no. Um, you really kind of have to go back to the greats of the time, Men at Work, Blondie, this kind of thing. But this, so I, I like it for personal reasons. Obviously, that, that sort of isn't going to affect too much into the, um, into the rating of this because, well, I want to hear his personality. And it's hard to feel that when you're just liking something for the, the atmosphere, for the aesthetic that it fits. Like, that's, that's removed. Well, his personality is really lacking in the vocal range. I feel like he was he was just not really giving it his all it's it's a little bit just weak overall and considering we heard a lot higher really light very very good touches in the previous two tracks here it's not accenting anything it really does take a huge step back for me let's look at the lyrics here starting with the verse you want to know me what's to know do i amuse you when the night is slow do your eyelids ever close? Caught spirits in your waking woes. 
And then the chorus, I know where to find you, know where you go. And I just want to let you know you can have me, you can have me all. And he really does like kind of drag this out, but it's true. It's in the style that you just mentioned. It's so slow, it's so kind of drawn. It's all, in many ways, it's still kind of like the same stuff we noticed as of the very beginning of the album. But it's funny how at this point, it, it's like the album starts to kind of feel its its length. We start to feel the repetition, we know his shtick. It shouldn't be happening this early on when it comes to albums, you know, there should be some attempt to keep it fresh and also to keep it dynamic. Well, also this song is missing those instrumental interludes. There's no real break here. It's fairly verse chorus and that's also, I think, part of the problem there is was that... There, one was, instrumental. there was instru uh, one instrumental, but it was much shorter. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't really expand. Whereas the other instrumentals in the previous tracks, they built to something. They kind of went somewhere. I noticed that. The guitar that, that was in the instrumental was more of like this guitar solo. It kind of like binds it together in a sense. But again, I'm not saying that in a positive way here. Binding together is just making it sound like the whole. We're existing in the same place. And it's just this solid unit front to back that like it going in, you're just left with the same taste in your mouth going out. You know, there's no there's no arc here in the source of a, in the in the span of a song, let alone we'll we'll get into it on the span of the album. The bass was good. The bass was really good. <laughs> I'm just reaching at this point. No, yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. You got to sure. give the credit where no, it's due. Well, the bass was really enjoyable, and that's something that I might keep harping on, because frankly, it seems to be one of the better fleshed out instruments on the album as a whole. Um, and I also take it back, there was one other section. There was a bridge in this track uh, in which we sort of have this, like, the hi-hat steps in here, and it's this like, really, really fast pitter-patter on the hi-hat, just these, like, 16th notes. But even in that, I still felt like it was very much with the same character of, of everything else. It's like, this should have been the moment at which the track decides to take its breather, as previous instrumentals should. Um, or as previous additional sections should, like the bridge in this case, but but like there's no individual component in the form of this track that is really breaking f form. By now, you know, now is that the uh, the disco hi hat beat? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, this, <laughs> yeah, the song is so uh, seemingly concerned with taking all these different constituent parts of '80s music. I mean, it's got the phase and delayed guitar, which is you know bread and butter. It's I almost mean, preoccupied. Yeah, it it almost seems uh, so concerned with being something else that it doesn't really have any knowledge of what it is itself. Yeah. And it's that's, not and that's, homage. That's a it's replica. It's yeah. a replica, and it's a failure considering it's the title track. Yeah. I mean. I've had other albums where the title track is not good, but the album still is a standout-ish album. I feel like, but it is a, a letdown. If you have a title track, it should kind of embrace at least a good chunk of the overarc of what you want the album to say, and it's not. And that is that is disappointing, I agree. The only even discernible shift in range was that somewhere toward the end, the guitar decides to kind of restate the same uh, phrase an octave lower. I recall that. It's worth noting. Sure. That's about the, the end of the discussion. It's a, it's a the, choice. Yes. The, the bass. It's a choice. It's a choice he made as an artist. The bass was really good. Thanks, John. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, John. Yes. Um, all right. I think that's a good cue to go into Through the Grass, track four. Now, just like, okay, you want to talk dynamics, you want to talk texture. He's got me back here. Oh, this yeah. track was yeah. a real, real winner for me. I find that almost every single time I use the phrase, drenched in reverb, as I have for many albums recently, because, yeah, who doesn't love reverb? It makes almost any any instrument, any any vocal uh, phrase sound sound heavenly. And here, I'm, like, I'm confronted by the fact that word 
pales to live up to what's actually going on here. Each and every time I say drenched in reverb, the next thing comes through and it's even more drenched. Hence, I have to say additional words like saturated, uh, uh, inundated, subl uh, sublimated. Sublimated. There we go. You know, all these different things. But I'm loving it. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the main thing here. You actually do feel as if you're underwater in a sense. There's this this hazy mist that just defines this entire track, and you feel very at peace with it. You know, as removed of an of a it, it's it's not like a passionate emotion. It's not it's not a strength, but it in its way, it's just as powerful at 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 soothing you and keeping you at bay. Which is weird that's because talent. from the from the very first lines of this track, I'm getting. A little apprehensive, a little excited. I mean, it, it seems like a, a pick-me-up, a lifting track. I mean, I think the strength of it is the use of dynamics and rising and falling action. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this is going to be a little hokey, but <laughs> I, I definitely had the image of grass, you know, waving around in a field, almost like an ocean. Certainly. You know? Yeah, like uh, like that like that meadow that exists, like almost just below... Uh, just below the water lines, you get kind of like a swamp effect. Yeah, but the, like a, the meadow, yeah, the grasslands that just have a little like a little wide sargasso sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, know. we're being taken places. We have imagery here. You know, it, it's a hard place to go, and all you have to say is like, it's like the '80s. You know, from what you recall from it, well, that's too that's too vague. This this is giving me very vivid pictures, and and I gotta say, even. Something else came to mind, and this comes through in the chorus. I know I'm skipping over like the main riff here, but this time the chorus actually stood out, I think, above that riff. The chorus steps forward, and it's all about the delivery here. I let you go. You let me in. I want you. Fairly simple, right? Simple, simple concepts. All right, he's longing. Great. And there also there's a clear mutuality to it. But the way in which it's delivered, there's this sort of like like stutter or like a stifled nature in you know each and every word one syllable words here i let you go and right on let there's like three syllables thrown in there you know it's almost like this this scandinavian call you know like you're standing on the fjords just like bellowing it out i loved it and it works really well again against the sort of natural setting we painted and it definitely brings up you know both my biggest compliment and criticism of this album mm. is it any of the enjoyability factor of the song or any of the songs it's completely determined by the presentation yeah you know presentation it will it will make or break i, I know during our group listen we were uh talking about the lyrics and how they kind of you know range from being juvenile in some respects high school to being really poignant and mm -hmm. you know mature and I, I think the major hinging point of this is the dynamics Agreed. You know, well, he's working with uh, a little bit more spunk in the guitar work, a little more sass in the drums. There oh, seems yeah. to be a lot more attitude in this song over what we've already gotten. Well, that's a strange. I mean, it's not how I interpret it going in. I mean, I don't really say sass when I picture like a romantic <laughs> in a setting painting or like an impressionistic well, painting. Well, it's the but it's the fact that you can't quite predict the drums as steady as the previous few tracks. It's they they have flair. There's attitude here. No, okay, guitar. now I'm starting to see why you're saying in the percussion, the percussion is a lot more yeah, rounded. It's in it's a sense. more interesting. And that's it's actually interesting to begin that's with. That's actually how it keeps everything fairly mellow. That that comes to mind very very well. I also like in this track that we get those instrumental interludes back. In fact, the first one we get in this track is a very 
um, interesting and fun guitar finger-picking interlude. Spanish-influenced, which I, sure. I adored. And a lot of finger-picking is very influenced by that, especially in modern music, for sure. Sure. There are hints of it. But even in the... Sure, sure. But sure, even sure. in the, uh, in, you know, the, the, the rounded nature of it, not just the finger-picking, yeah. but the, the style it was so much just... You know, again, we're throwing in more natural settings here. I feel like it's down by the wharf or something like that. It's there's there's a romance to to, to the place, and I feel like that's prevalent in a lot of uh, of Spanish music, Spanish acoustic guitar music, classical Spanish. And you know, invariably, this this song is like none other on the album. There's yeah. re- there's really not an analogy, which cannot be said for necessarily every song. True. You know? Um. There's also this the, the the next solo that comes up. I believe it's the second one. The one that introduces a dark synth tone. It was to like everything. a deeper synth tone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed that because it was only slightly on the on the scary scale, only slightly like ominous. It really, for me, added a concrete nature to this world. It took it f- from the fairyland that the chorus really did create brought it back down to earth and made it for me a lot more believable a lot more realistic was that that sort of like almost moog sounding like yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. you've got moog on the brains today oh well totally well the radio helped earlier and the 80s needless to say we all thoroughly enjoyed this track i also like how the outro is kind of just that steady drone there was nothing fancy about the outro it just kind of drones off and then ends yeah i think that might have been the extension from the it was yeah Yeah, it was absolutely was all um, said and done, it was a lot of the pieces that we saw in the previous tracks and will be seeing in the later tracks, but they they seem to just fit together a lot more coherently. There was in this track, too. Nothing just kind of sat in one place. They kind of did stuff with it. It was malleable. And it was organic. It was organic, yeah, we got, absolutely. We got pointed lines. We got great vocals. We got, you know, a lot of work into the into, uh, instruments as a whole. Up until this point, I was only seeing attention done to one or two of these parts instead of everything at once. Yeah, and, and I think this is interestingly really... enough on this discussion. This this track really seems to even be hoisted up above many others. Like yeah. when I really consider yeah. it, you know, track two was like sort of like my favorite as of the time, and it's really all just because of that hook. Like I noticed that's the anchor point, but this is well rounded. We all agree. Let's go to track five. Only Heather. It has one very interesting thing in the very very first few seconds, and that is a synth orchestra warm-up. It sounds as if you were warming up a, uh, some kind of synth in the same way you'd warm up an orchestra. It kind of swells a little bit, kind of hums. I... Yeah, it's almost, it's it's, it's, it's independent electronica piece at this point. Yeah. And it's kind of refreshing. You know, when you, when you, when you sort of edit out the acoustic element, you, you in, in some sense, you're a little bit inhibited because now all of a sudden people need to kind of like take, they, they need to believe the atmosphere that you're building and they need to, like, you can't throw in something that'll ground you and uh, acoustic instruments have a tendency to always ground you but here it's it's sort of like the sky is the limit well now you can play around in in a way by fooling people and so with this sort of like warm-up it's like you're giving the sense that a, a, an orchestra is there things are just kind of like gurgling a little bit there's these overlaps and and you know it's it's in a way it's a really good it's a really good introduction it's a really good overture for something that's about to begin um, but without actually stating independent but, themes, but this track didn't we really don't get warrant that. that. Yeah, yeah, and it was such a tease, and that's why I want to point it out. It was a 10-second little piece, but to have something like that, to take that idea and then couple it with what we did get, which was fun at first. To be fair here, though, we're not like in the 80s. This actually does snap back to the early part of the album in being a little bit more indie rock oriented. We're fast-paced again. It's got that jogging feel that we kind of had as of both uh, both track one and track two. So 
that's good for itself, but again, we have comparisons now. I have broad comparisons, and it seems to be fitting a niche. Well, it's also not nearly as engaging as those first two tracks. It kind of moves very quickly like those tracks did, but, you know, it just didn't engage as much. The hooks weren't as strong. Well, this is a track that comes down to theme. This comes down to theme, and it comes down to the subject matter, and I think this is where I might give this track a little bit of leniency, even though it, it, it pulls kind of the same punches. Um, dressed in Moonlight and Paler Than Bone. She has got something that I've never known. Couldn't explain it. I wouldn't even try. She is so lovely, she makes me feel high. Minding that last line, which is a little juvenile. I love what he started with. But here is the crux point. The chorus. Because only Heather. Only Heather. Only Heather. Only Heather can make me feel this way. Now that's beautiful. It's simple. I mean, everybody knows that writing love music is about as broad of, you can't even call it a genre at that point, a subject matter. It's just a go-to thing for a lot of writers. That's the place that they're in, and it makes them feel the extent of their being, in a sense. Therefore, they write from the heart, and it reveals great things. And I think I wanted to really immerse myself into his environment so much that I felt that the soft way in which he was speaking and delivering this chorus was almost perfect for this kind of reserved state that you're caught in a daze. You're thinking about the one you love, and that's all that matters. I mean, for me, I almost felt like a voyeur listening to it. Yeah, it a little too, too, perso personal. Little too yeah. personal. And, I mean, there, there's definitely a way you can negotiate that, talking about, you know, personal subject matters, but this was, I mean, almost obliquely to me, a song meant for the person it was written after. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it does until the second verse. Misunderstood, she's good, I can tell, though everyone tells me I'm under her spell. But I'll never leave her, they don't know our deal. It's better to fake than to love her for real. Hmm. He does this in the same inflection as the previous part. He doesn't change the chorus after this. This is a really curious choice because he just gave... He just said the first half is a lie. That this perception of what's going on here is not the truth. To be so upfront about it, to describe someone as beautiful and without saying the words, say you love them, and then say it is, in fact, fake, not even, you know, two minutes later, is kind of a tweak on the nose. Well, it's true that at that moment it does seem to kind of, like, pull back, and now it becomes less of the ode and more of a soliloquy. Hence, hence it, is, it is definitely meant for the audience at that point. So, actually, that, that's a good point you raised, John. That's you know, point. if you look only at, at the, the chorus, it's very easy to gloss over that additional element. Then all of a sudden, it's sort of like that thing he needs to get off his back. Enter the listening audience. It went from Romeo and Juliet to Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with it, though, is I, it doesn't really have that much of, like, you know, a tempo change or a tonality change. There's not a lot change. of impact. Yeah. I agree there. So it's... It's easy to miss that. It's real easy to miss that. Like, I honestly didn't realize that until you brought it up yeah. now. And even well, the, the electric guitar just has these, like, more, more happily broken chords, just kind of, like, picking along, but not with the same, like, exotic quality we had back with that Spanish guitar in the previous track. Instead here, it's just kind of this role that, like, you know, it provides the backdrop, and that's all it serves. And I, I hate that, too, because broken chords, especially on a guitar, when you just kind of, like, gurgle there, you can provide so much more. You don't yeah. keep it so steady, but... Admittedly, that was only mainly for the chorus. Well, the the big issue I had with the guitar was also compounded by the drums because they were playing in unison, and they weren't playing such long notes. No, they were they were really just keeping time with one another. They were drowning each other out, and that's not really good because the other stuff that's being built around them 
isn't particularly strong in this case. So not only are they drowning each other out, but the combined noise that they're doing is being a detriment to what else is going on. Well, I still make the claim that despite what you're, despite the point you brought up, which I do think is a real important element of this track uh, thematically, there's this still this like dazed romance that defines the entire track. Hence, I think we're really he, like he wants to deliver this through the avenue of love and and a kind of like lost in your own in your own world sort of love. So that's the musical avenue. The theme tends to take extra steps, which is a little unfortunate because you almost would want more expansion just on that idea. The music makes no attempt at reflecting that theme. It's, it's unfortunate. You shouldn't have to squint. That's a thing. I, it's not that I'm putting down, um, you know, I think everyone should, should pr immerse themselves into music in a similar sense. And a lot of times music is meant to be like literature. You know, you, you, you find little subtext that you might other, not otherwise see. But the thing is, that's literature. Literature is, is essentially one tool. Music with lyrics, you have two tools working simultaneously. There should be some interplay and some duality here. A lot of times we find this uh, stated in the sense of, like, irony. But here, we don't really get irony. We get half of one idea, all of another. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really amount to very much in the end. Yeah. Moving on to track six, these chains, th this chain won't break. One chain, not multiple chains, just one. Thank you. Um, clarifying. So we get another drum intro, which, you know, is always nice. They do something a little interesting every time they, he does, like, an intro that's just drums. He changes it up a bit. He doesn't just do a steady rhythm. But beyond that, I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere. It just that I'll lends say that, I'll say that that intro... <laughs> all right, everyone's about we're to already, go in a different place here. here. But that, th those, that drums you mentioned, all right, they start off, that's the intro. But it, it furthers itself through the entirety of the track. And I found that because of that, the whole song is a lot more uh, rhythm-driven than I think yeah. almost any other track in the album. That's a perk to me. It's not so much that it like doesn't do anything else. It's more that what it set out with the start was a success as we continue. Well, that's it's fair. the other elements that tend to fall into the same traps. Rhythm is fine. It almost had more more grit than anything else. And the the bass complemented the grit that was in the guitar. It... it actually brought it forward. It's another time I'm loving the bass. The well, yeah, synth... the bass was the most interesting thing in this track. Well, yeah. I, And I the rhythm. Everyone's got their own thing with this. But... Yeah, and the synth. Like Even the synth was supporting it well. There was a lot going on here in the background. That's where we get into big problems for me. In the forefront, it's another track that I just got some weak vocals worth. He was falling off on the ends of his phrases just dramatically and honestly disappointingly it's sad when it's it's he's he's depressed with it he's depressed saying these lyrics but they're so unimpactful to him that it's coming across for me that way but well all right i'll admit it's not as if the his delivery really was a standout point here but again we have something that's again i, I think a little bit more angsty in this track consider and i don't know just what I got myself into, all I know is that I can't let go. And I don't know what I got myself into, all I know is I can't let go. This chain won't break because of you. And then he continues with the same verse. This is not like a, a lyric-heavy track. He has refrains, and that's his point. So what do we have? We have a kind of, I, I don't want to go back to using the same word, like a dazed-out state, but it seems as if this is more of that rumination. You know, he's sitting in a place where he's a little bit more, I think, angrily focused on the topic. Um, 
and he's there's blame in here for sure you know because of you because of you uh hence you have elements that kind of fit that there's that attitude that grit in the rhythm which is still one of my more enjoyable um uh parts i think of this track i think it does promote i think there's a little bit more linking here but it's for that sort of removed artistic justification it doesn't really make it an enjoyable track to listen to unless you sort of pick it apart we're getting to a point now where we're kind of starting to stagnate a little bit in a very pop structure. Um, whereas earlier in the album, he was had a lot more dynamics. There was a lot more interesting things going on. We got instrumental interludes and all this stuff. We're getting closer and closer to a verse chorus structure constantly. And it's just, the, the dynamics aren't there. We're kind of falling into a rut. Even though there are interesting pieces, overall, the song is still fairly forgettable. And also... Um you mentioned that the 80s thing I, I even though i mentioned that i enjoyed the rhythm here it, yeah it's 80s you know it's 80s and i i didn't say that maybe i felt like i didn't have to say that at this point we're there's, gonna get it in a variety it's of kind of everywhere at this point and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that yeah and this is more like the latter half of the 80s by the way we're not new wave now now we're more in that 80s pop when everything had to have that that backbeat that was present in all the rick astley you know and the <laughs> backbeat is drenched yeah. in reverb itself like yeah. it needs to you know a little, a little bit overkill yeah. Self-indulgence, I think. This definitely marks about the beginning of the end. Uh, for, yeah, the beginning of the end for this album. It's it's a shame to to, uh, admit, to that admit that already. Admit that already. Yeah. Well, let's 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 we got more. Well, let's go on to the next track and keep some of the mystery alive. This is disappear always, and I mean from the minute you this track starts, you get this dour, angsty feel. Once he starts singing, you get a vocal warble. Like instrumentally, there's nothing really different from this track from the others. It kind of. Again, is another pop strong, uh, pop song sprinkled with '80s, with a vocal warble that's kind of down. The eyes rolling into the back of your head, but <laughs> but you did mention one of my favorite elements, uh, almost in passing. That that vocal quality, the, the that vocal warble, warble yeah. I think I think deserves more credit than than you're giving it. Okay, I mean, fair. there was a delivery here that I don't think we really had in the rest of the album. Granted, it's not the best musically. It, it's not the yeah. most showy. But there is a... <laughs> you got to drive that home, right? Yeah. But there, there's an honesty here in just that that sort of... It, it feels like... It's not bringing me to tears, so that's a failure for starters. But it feels like the artist himself is he did seem being to brought to tears. He did seem to choke on his words a bit. There yes, was definitely exactly. emotional inflection in the vocals. But that's just it. I barely remember that because the music was so samey and kind of... No, I, I remember that. It's the only thing I remember. <laughs> well, yeah. But I had the opposite effect. I forgot everything because of how samey the track was. But I kind of wanted him to choke a little bit more. I wanted him to break down and really go to, to that emotional level because the words could have been that next level had he really gone full force with those emotions. And, and frankly, I mean, the the album needs needs the emotional contrast. That that's the thing. It's it's kind of a one trick pony with the vocals. He either is in high airy mode or weird new order mode. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> he, he kind of just shifts gears between those two things. And you're right, he's touching on, uh, you know, really deep emotions, but it, it, there's restraint. A fun drinking yeah. game that you can play along with this podcast, by the way, is ha take a shot every time we mention an 80s band, because we've mentioned quite a few. Oh, You'd God. be drunk by the end. you got to put that in the tag. And, and, and now i got to go back to the beginning, yeah. and that's yeah, post-editing for me, and yes, more work for Steve. But the reason I kind of want that huge emotional leap, that real breakdown part, is that it would really do a, go a long way to explaining and to really making the simple lyrics impact, impactful, to really make them a solid piece because when you hit 
like real desperate levels, it makes sense to lose your elegance, to lose your words, to go to basic levels. And well, this I, house... I like to say though, it's never usually our. I don't. I never like to say it's our place. You know, to say, oh, that's how the artist should have gone about this. You know, I, I never like to take that stand here. It's more just like it's inevitable, especially when you spend this much time. You know, with music, when you're spending so much time going through the details, it's inevitable that you'll come to sections that lead you to expectations, and when they're not met. Yeah, you you, be, you become the YouTube commenter, and I hate to say that, and I hate to compare us to that, but um, expect- we have moments. We have moments. Everyone has their moments. You know, as much as I I I, I ridicule the practice, still think that that you know, an artist should be self-aware as they go through this. So when that when they make a certain choice, you know, really consider this in the mind of every single listener out there. It's you know, hard to do that I sometimes, though. It also because they sit with their art for so yeah, long. Sure. They sit with the production. They sit with. You know, they could be in the studio for hours and hours and hours, and sometimes, and I found this even just like in my own, uh, my own composition, I find that it's 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 very easy to delude yourself if you spend so much time with one thing. Uh, you'll listen to it over and over and over, and then all of a sudden, it's the most amazing thing ever. Then you maybe like take a breather. You go back five days later, and you find that that's just confusing, you know. And thus, if you had that to your own work, how do you think other people are going to feel? And the same thing works with other uh, with other reactions such as boring such as the doldrums <laughs> and i feel like we're kind of entering that that place but here we have some nice real simple straightforward breakup music breakup vocals breakup words he doesn't feel like he's breaking up though that's the whole thing when it really gets towards the end of the day it's it's kind of he's almost wishy-washy about it well yeah it's been thrown around here and we all we all threw around the fact that this is a breakup album, in a sense. Sort of, but it's sort not of, chronological. Sort of. Yeah, that yeah. comes with clauses. And it definitely bears reiteration. I mean, this guy was 21 when he did the album. Mm -hmm. Might be, you know... Post-angst. Post-angst, but just as a performer, just, you know, I mean, if it's his first time working in a studio, expecting him to have, like, unlimited amounts of emotional... Mm. And technical stamina that just might not be realistic. Also, I that's, know plenty that's of a artists. Fair point. Plenty of artists crunch together their studio time because it's sometimes cheaper to do it all in one day than over a course of days. Like I know a former guest of the other podcast that we do, uh, Crash Codes Autographs, Marion Call talks about how when she got studio time in Alaska, where she lives, she recorded for twenty four hours straight to bang out an album. Like, she left for 15 minutes a couple of times to get food, but beyond that, she survived on cereal bars and stayed in the studio because it was easier. And so we don't know that he didn't do that, but he was just banging out the studio time to get it done. And that, by the time you sing the same line so many times and do so many retakes, exactly. you're over it. Uh, I'm, I'm still astounded there's studios in Alaska. <laughs> there's a lot in Alaska. Yeah, I know, I know. I, yeah, I missed my of, chance to go there when my, my friend was stationed there for the Coast Guard. There Two years I couldn't have done it. They're probably pretty cool. They are probably pretty cool. And also, you know, seriously, if she's stuck on, on cereal bars, go, go down to the ocean. Get some herring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't you badmouth herring. Don't no, you badmouth herring. There's, there's herring salmon. is amazing. There's like the best breeds of salmon up there. There's well, some that's amazing true. That's true. Alaskan salmon. No more All right, salmon always wins. That's right. And there we go. Let's go to track eight. Track eight, Paradise. So up front, the setting of this song is so perfectly a night in Miami in the smack middle of the 80s. And from the minute the first 
synth node hits, you get a sense of that so strong. It just it feels like a song you would hear in Grand Theft Auto Vice, Vice City on the radio stations. It just very much drips with 80s. This we're we're entrenched in 80s. This is no homage. This is not even similar. It's the same. And uh, you you mentioned Grand Theft Auto Vice City, a satire of the 80s of Miami Beach. And this really does fit in almost iconically there. Satirically, yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. Depeche Mode. Drink. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> this definitely sounds like a Depeche Mode yeah. song. That was, sure. your, that was your observation, Devin, and now I hear it. <laughs> it's, oh, just... yeah. it's trying for sex. He's trying to go for sexy. It's faux sultry, I called it. <laughs> Fake it's, sultry. It's just not there. It's and not. And it's, it's very steady. It drags. It's not engaging. I mean, if you're making, if you're trying to make a song that's dripping with sexuality, it has to be engaging because sexuality is engaging. And if you can't accomplish that, it fall, it'll fall short and see even, seem even cheesy, like a satire. Yeah, and, and ultimately, in order to actually have any sex appeal, you have to have confidence. Yeah. And <laughs> confidence is not an adjective I would necessarily use to describe this guy's vocals. This is like... Actually, that that those those and a lot of these are on YouTube now, but those '80s dating videos where oh, they try yeah. to oh, portray yeah. confidence. But this is before like you had the internet age, and, and you actually have like a semblance of what other people are going into like a dating atmosphere with. Um, before like you know dating websites and what. So it was really just like you awkwardly stumbling into on probably ca on camera for the first time in your life, and now you have to like divulge these things about you, and you you know that confidence is positive, but you're not sure how it's going to come off across on the other side when somebody watches this video in return and it ends up being laughable and <laughs> poked at by, uh, you know, 21st century YouTubers. Another thing about this song is it's the first time this album really feels like it's dragging. There were minor moments where certain songs felt like they were going a little long, but otherwise we were able to stay somewhat amused. But here, this song drags. Like halfway through, I'm just like, okay, are we at the end? Oh no, this is an instrumental leading into more of the same. And it's the first time I was really so self-aware with how much the song was dragging. I think it was a six-minute song, and by, like, the halfway point, I had had enough already. Also, well, the lyrics are fairly repetitive here. He kind of goes, runs over the same things. You know, dancer in the night, playing with my eyes. Velvet tongue so sweet, say anything you like. All right, I'm with that. Crush me with the lies, and tell me once or twice that love is paradise, that love is paradise. Let me go back to dancer in the night, playing with my eyes, velvet tongue so sweet, you say anything you like, and it's really just this refrain back and forth. We didn't get a lot of content. Well, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but it's verse number two, no prime, no nothing, it's verbatim. Yeah. So. There's not much. There's not. <laughs> yeah. Lacking dynamics. I think that's the word of the day. Yeah, and or it's, phrase. It's, and it's almost grotesque. There's really nothing too appealing about his word choice. Yeah, but I there's, yeah. I want anyone playing with my eyes. That's true. That's yeah. true. I like my eyes where they are. He's a little There's aggressive ways you can, you can phrase that that really can be enticing. In fact, enticing is a great adjective to use with eyes. Again, don't, here, don't suggest. Never suggest. Here, playing with my eyes, I mean, yes, you could see a dancer making that sort of symbolism. That, uh, not symbolism, that metaphor between the two. But it's a little on the nose. It's probably more than a little on the nose. All right, well, there's no reason to beat a dead horse here. I mean, let's go to, to the other element that this track has that actually is separate from everything we've described. It has a fairly long departure where it separates itself from this, this you know, fairly, this drudging content. And then we step into this very, very long ambient instrumental, which is kind of separate from anything else he's ever done in the album. He definitely is trying to make a... a 
a decided uh, departure from not only the track, but from the album as a whole. It's sort of like his soliloquy within the album as a whole. It seems to be the only breather or, or crux point that I can identify in the course of the album as a whole. Because, De Devin, you mentioned this a number of times, that you said, and I, I thought this was a pretty good observation because we don't often harp on it, that this album is the kind of thing that maybe was not meant to be listened to in order. That or seems, straight through, even. Or straight through. And it seems almost silly, because, of course, how, how are people probably going to first digest this? That assumes they buy it first. In the 21st century, you can get you're track by track. going to get track by track probably a lot, you know? And you, YouTube people, generation. Lots of times they tend to just throw things on shuffle. I feel like maybe there's some credit, there's some weight to what you said, that he released this in a semblance like, you know what, do with this, do with this album what you will. And is honest about the fact that it has no arc, really. But if you're looking... There is a moment here where he decides to kind of just go off. But even in the context of a separate, uh, of a separate playlist or or an taking this track individually, you can sort of just gloss along with this whole departure. It's not like it's really firm. It's not like it's changing its attitude. It's just stepping back to sort of encapsulate the overall tone of love, of loss, and everything else that we've mentioned in a generalized ambient ambient setting. I mean, I would definitely argue that uh, the band is content to fade into the background. Right. Very yeah. often. It, a lot of these songs do not necessarily encourage you to actively listen. Even the tracks I, I like, you know, that sort of like that, that misty, drenched in reverb stuff. It's, it's like very he, speak, easy to kind of he speaks through a filter, you know, yeah. it's like he's somewhere in the distance and you have to kind of like strain yourself to hear what he's really saying through all of these, this, this mist that he just puts in front of you and puts in front of himself. That's... That, that's almost a shame, but it does strike me as very intentional, like you oh, said. yeah. Um, we'll grapple with how that works or not in our wrap-ups. Track nine, Counting Days. Um, I just, at this point now with this track, I feel like we've heard <laughs> this identical track before. Like, not even parts of it. I feel like we're just getting a repeat. Well, it doesn't help that we had a title that kind of, like, spoke to how we're feeling. <laughs> Counting tracks, yeah. <laughs> at least. I just, I don't know. I'm so disappointed... A thing that we come across a lot is we, we really think the world of all the artists we bring on, even the ones that we have doubts about, because we want good music. Ultimately, that's all we want. And when someone shows such interesting and unique ideas early on, and then the rest of the album kind of peters off into sameness and predictability, it's disappointing. I mean, there are plenty of pop more popular and less popular artists that we've found that have done the same thing. Yeah, and actually that's a counterpoint almost to Devin's comment. But it only works in, 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 in like a half sense. Like, it seems as if he wanted, if people were going to listen to this in order, then he stuffed it in the beginning. But then he falls off, and he doesn't care anymore. Then all of a sudden, Devin's point comes to fruition. And then it starts just like, all right, put it in whatever order you want. It really doesn't matter in the end. But there was, there really seems to be an attempt to stuff the, the positive stuff in the beginning. We, we began this with so much hope. It's very time heavy. Yeah. But talking about this Rewind. song specifically, the, it's... Drums are extremely safe once again. Yeah, very predictable. The guitar ends up being the puck, uh, plucky uh, rhythm piece once more. The I bass, know. my bass, my bass is gone. Now it's just <laughs> now it's just a double strum. No, it's a double strum. The dunt, the dunt, and that's it. It's just there. Well, if I'm throwing if, notes in there, if I'm what's going on? Correct. the the the, synth, the bass was was replaced, wasn't it? Is, is this the track where it was replaced by the synth itself? And the synth becomes the bass? No. No, that's the next No, that track. was, that's that's that was another instance. Okay, my mistake. And here we actually get a straight-up uh, verse-chorus 
setting. I'm 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 a little bit. It's uh, the most unhappy I think with you've that. Yeah. Been on the whole record. This, this year. is some of my more favorite stuff, though. I think lyrically, it's 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 weird. Yeah, but you, you have, have to, to take fight. that with. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. To fight to find it, though. Well, let's promote it anyways. All right. There is nothing left for me to forgive again, and it's cold in your bed, and those flowers have long been dead. If you wait, you can see there's a place where I used to be. You want to make me spin? You want to hold me in? And these are questions that he asks as, the, as his chorus. You know, it's, it's, it's like interesting that there's probably more um, like emotional complexity here than we've had for the duration of the album. Like It seems he's in a place now where he's dealing with a relationship that is not so straightforward. Yeah. Hence, I almost get the sense that thematically we are moving forward in time and we are moving forward in maturity. I see that in, in, in places. I don't want to make that sweeping statement throughout, but we have a sample here. And I think if you take it from from the beginning, we have a development that that comes in maybe every other track or so. I mean, if you know, in terms of there being a time development, you compare the instrumentation uh, with this of this song with Shadow. Yeah, and it, it's almost as though the instruments have been bled at this point. Like the the bass in particular has lost such life, and there there's no string section here, which is what lends its lushness. And I have to, to counteract that maturity because. Counting days, first of all, if you're counting days in a relationship, you know it's over. Well, then grow up, eh. get some balls, and end it. And this comes from someone who's had trouble with that kind of a thing. You don't know, man. You don't know how hard it is to actually do that. And this is the first time I feel like he's actually trying to reach that point where yeah. he's... He's trying to push through, but it's just it's not there in the music. Let me rephrase that. If this is another time he's trying to reach that point that he's hitting a, a real emotional chord... And it's 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 the the problem that I saw when we actually did through the grass, where grass had all the elements coming together. Here is just another one of the elements, the lyrics themselves, that it's coming in, and the rest of stuff just ain't supporting it. Yeah, yeah I I agree with that. I think we're pretty much in the same place. But for the hell of it, I'm gonna read the second verse because I like it. Counting days till you come in. I haven't lost you. I've just misplaced you. However bright I could not tell, the window opened no explanation. You're right in the sun, and the dreaming has come undone. If you wait, you can see there's no reason to disagree. You want to make me spin? You want to hold me in? It's this little tete-a-tete that he's playing with, uh, with a character that is not really answering back. Um, but that's the nature of, you know, solo artistry. <laughs> so I, I, I can read it and love it in a separate sense, but but it's true. Yeah. There's very little cohesion there. Even the only moment where it did seem to kind of take a breather in this in this uh, in this self soliloquy was an instrumental that seemed so much more reserved than every other instrumental. It's like this breath was held and then it's really just the same riff over and over and over again. Like within this riff, we just get the same exact excuse me, within this instrumental the instrumental is comprised of only a riff. That doesn't really constitute an instrumental, really, but it has the placement and it has the. It's up. It's upholstered in the same sense that an instrumental would. But you just get the same exact thing. There was a really, really clear sense that as of that moment, he had ran out of ideas for his track, ran out of musical ideas. That is. And it definitely seems that way when listening to it. Yeah, because it wasn't an engaging riff, and I've I've noted them earlier in the record. And then, of course, we snap back, as there's a reprise here, and it even seemed like 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 there was no attempt to really compose it into the instrumental, no attempt to compose it out. We have defined uh, shifts here right back to the chorus, which is very relaxed, and it's just like, I, I don't see why. This was the opportunity to, to, to really, really embellish. From here, we go to track 10, The Blue Dress. We're all kind of feeling the weight here. Um, there's a really great... <laughs> 
guitar intro here, I think, that goes nowhere. And it's so fleeting. It's the guitar that we've heard a couple of times already. It's the quick play that he uses to introduce and to perpetuate a lot of his other songs. But I, there's a there's I gotta interrupt. There's a quality in that guitar that I think was something new. Even just yes. at the tail end here, we have to we have to um, sort of mention that it, it had this kind of wooden quality. Like it, it's 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 fast paced. It's rounded. It has almost the same finger picking that we heard earlier. The same finger picking we heard in, the, in that Spanish guitar. Uh, track, but then here it's just the timbre is so so unique. It's got this like marimba feel. Like it feels like it's it's systematically doubled with a marimba as it goes. I I, I really don't know what filter he used on the gu- guitar or whether it's something in post production, but it was it was engaging on its own. I just wish again development. Well, development. The, the the problem that was really disappointing is that that great guitar intro becomes the entire crux of the background of the record. The same notes uh, or the track rather those same notes are looped over and over and over and over again. Yeah. It the was whole ma- track. It was maybe only reflected by one other instrument though too and that was the bass. The bass yeah. does something different here than earlier on. It's not it's not the bass line that we've been probably promoting as one of the few like uh, musically virtuosic, maybe not virtuosic, but you know, inventive and playful uh, instruments as compared to the rest. And then here, it takes a backseat position and is so much more like like a punk bass. It's really just like steady... Uh, bass and drum rhythm. Very, steady very steady. Steady 16th notes, you know, and it's like this rumble that just kind of like gurgles underneath. But, to be honest, the way that worked against that sort of wooden uh, guitar sound, there was something here that I felt was unique. Again, my issue with this track is a lot more form than it is texture. Um, I'm not going to keep harping on like you know oh, it's back to the '80s here. I think this was this was just a different problem. No, yeah, and I think that again those moments were interesting, the first five seconds of it. But then when it becomes to repeating it over and over again, it's like it was inventive when you started with it. Now build on it. Don't just repeat it over and over. We or, and then or you could just really raise the bass and lower the treble and and just enjoy the bass line no itself. No suggestions. <laughs> no suggestions. <laughs> well, okay. Vocals, almost non-existent. Yeah, it was not very engaging. Uh, there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like he's just kind of dialing it in at this point. Like, yeah. all right, I gotta, I gotta fill up the space. This riff sounds cool because there, there's not really the complexity either. That I we agree. Of, you know, the drums and through the grass. The reason they were so interesting was because they were kind of sporadic and organic, and they had this evolving quality. Exactly. But when, you, when you swap that out for this sort of like march. Yeah. Your bass and your rhythm section. Yeah. As much as I may like it, 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 I don't know if it stands on its own. Well, in the regularity of the main part of the song, when we hit the instrumental interlude on this track, it feels completely divorced. It's like we're listening to a brand new song. And I wanted more of that song, not what we had had before it. And that doesn't go anywhere really either, which is a problem. You know, it's just... I, I feel like at this point he's just not sure what to do to fill the time, so he's just adding stuff on. And it, it seems very tacked on, and it might not have been. This could have been meticulously planned, but it sure as hell doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Um, does anyone want to look at the lyrics? I like them. Does anyone want to tackle them? Eh, read them if you want. I mean, I'll do them. Falling through your song, my desires come undone. Though I looked for you all night, the words would never come. When I dreamt of you so sweet in the garden of my touch, drowning into Sheets' imaginary love. The, That's the pr- music is undeserving of these lyrics. <laughs> I would buy his poetry book. 
If he yes. released a poetry book, I would totally buy yes. it. Yes. It, it really, I, I'm, I'm sticking with this. It, it has gained maturity. It yeah. really has. The lyrics do sense. hold up, I really think. I think the initial impression that they didn't really have a maturity is has been disproven. Yeah. I just The music doesn't support it, so how would we know without reading it? I remember that later on here, even when it, when it pursues its solo, we have the same uh, caliber, the same timbre that we had earlier in the track, that sort of wooden feel. Um, and the funny thing is that even it here, where it had every opportunity to expand, it was the most, like, reserved, haphazard st- solo that it, it could have chose. Everything is very, just, like, thin. He hammers out where he wants, he just repeats, you know, certain little phrases and eighth notes. There barely is phrases there. It almost feels like it's a, a kind of freestyling, but there's there's no, no form with which that really seemed appropriate no context where you can like perceive like ah yeah here's time for a freestyle in anything if anything it was actually time to really go virtuosic and maybe maybe tailor make your solo especially considering it's not shredding you know we have a marimba again as as i'm calling it because it sounds kind of wooden but like you might as well like map that out especially as an electronic musician this seems like something that could have been so much more intricate and it just doesn't go there yeah at all yeah, same tone I liked, but pursued somewhat more poorly. We now saunter on to the final track. <laughs> doody doody do. Um, the final track, Raya. track eleven, is Rhea. Um, and at this point, I'm just done. I, I think that this song, as far as a conclusion for the album, it doesn't give us what we started with. It's, I mean, I I said lame, which I think is really harsh, but it's definitely. It's looped at this point. This song is so repetitive. And, and like, at least in the last track, we got that interlude that didn't make any sense or fit anywhere in the song, but at least woke us up for a minute. This song, it's dull. It's uninspired. The lyrics aren't even memorable to me. I just, I didn't enjoy it. And I think it was a letdown to end the track, the album with this track. It was the weakest vocal work on the whole album. And that was itself the biggest disappointment because I really like his voice. I wanted more. I really did. But yeah. so many times, I feel like I feel like he just needs to go for it a lot more. That he really has to try just, just more. Go for it, man. He does have a sweet voice. It is a very well-rounded piece. We know he can hit low. We know he can hit high. But he's not really exploring the range in between. And he's not really in, uh, exploring the strength I think he really does have with that voice. He's coming to embody all the anxiety and all the nervousness that he's talking about in his songs. He's not rising above it or uh, portraying it in a way that's contrary to it. And it sort of, it, it brings down the listening experience. Yeah. It, I sense a sense, uh, like maybe he's getting desensitized to like by life you feel this in the lyrics. Um, so therefore, you know, how can he really like, how can he convey this to his, to his listener? Like, well, the, the old answer is, what do you do, you know? Be a musician, you know, use your art. Expand where you can. That's just, that's the, that's the time to really, like, develop it and explain the complexity of what you're going through. Desensitization, as, as cold as that may be, like, that lends itself and has lent itself to so much great music. Even just, like, you know, in recent weeks, we've come across a lot of just being discouraged by life. We had that Sufjan Stevens album, you know, where he was discouraged by, by, by death itself. Granted, that was a more pivotal event, but you can t- it, it show, goes to show that you can make any singular event, you know, seem as important to the listener as, as it does to you. So, 
use it. But instead, he chooses, as Devin mentioned, really just to to make his music embody the the drudgery. So we have similar tones. This is the third track in a row already that I think we're we're using this kind of like marimba sound, like. Um, again, still like it, but I, I, I could have sworn, like, it's the same tone. Different phrasing, slightly, you know, different delivery, but it's the same tools. We're encountering the, the same... We're, encount- back back. we're encountering the same problem that we found in a lot of pop records. And that's what this pretty much evolved into, is a cross between 80s and pop, or both. It's just samey. Like, I mean, when we reviewed Fallout Boy, we said that there were bits that made sense for the song, or that were interesting, or at least memorable. But it didn't overall really amount to much on the album arc and or take us anywhere. And I think that's a big problem. I think one of the biggest problems with this record is that, at least in the song especially, he doesn't try, it doesn't feel like he's trying to do anything. I can't say that he's not trying because it's artistry and whether you're an indie artist or well-known arena rocker, like obviously you're trying. I feel like nobody poops out music. I just I, I feel like it doesn't happen. Even even if you're Nickelback or you're Taylor Swift, especially if you're Taylor Swift, some of those songs actually have a lot of artistry. You 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 don't just crap them out. You you do work intently on it. But I feel like maybe Devin's right at this point in the writing process. If the writing was in some semblance of this order, he was just kind of done and filling the role. And I think that's what's the most disappointing. I think that same point came up on, on our Fallout Boy discussion yes. in episode 138, where I, I made the claim that, you know, no one really just just poops out music, although I may not have used that reserved terminology. I just don't think that artists in their heart of hearts do that. I believe that they feel every word and they, they feel every note. And uh, it really is, it takes a very profound skill to take yourself out of yourself. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I just I wish there was more to say about this last track. Like I feel like we're all stammering we're, yeah. for what to like, what to say. No, it was just a total letdown. I, yeah. I'm yeah. really without comment for it. And in truth, we do we do take this chronologically. Much as your point was valid, you know, uh, chrono- chronology is important. I think when it comes to albums, I think it's time for us to go into our wrap up. Yeah, I'll start. Yep. Yeah, you will. <laughs> we're kind of making them. Yeah. All right. This is this is sort of a, a strange case because I think that when I began this album and it not it doesn't just speak to the chronology. I I, I really expected to enjoy it a lot more. I I was ready to say you know hey this, you brought us a great I'm, I'm loving this I love it considering you know things that that it's followed up uh, in our recent weeks. I think it had a very very strong start and maybe even the album as a whole on the first listen when you're not really scrutinizing it does have a tendency to wash over you in, a, in, a, in an easier fashion if you don't do what we do and we like to make that that exception like well for certain purposes for certain background noise purposes maybe driving purposes i think this album does fit even just as as a solitary unit you know just you know don't be picky but <laughs> our job is to be picky. our job is to be picky you know it, it's when you really start sitting and, and you want to immerse yourself into the environment, you want to let it envelop you, you, you don't get that effect on subsequent listens. Hence, I think this is the kind of album that grows off on you. The I same think, problem I had with Fall Out Boy. I really liked it the first time because I just kind of got into it, and yeah. then the more we listened to it, I saw all the flaws. Yeah, luckily I didn't have to go through that. And at that point, it starts to sort of bring another word to mind I may have used earlier, this sort of self-indulgency mm-hmm. that it has. That it, it, it clearly... 
there, there's a, a, a love of its own ideas. We mentioned that with the 80s things and, and all of the, the motifs that it returns to, the, the, the tones that it picks, that it returns to. I feel like there's a, there's a belief here that they are binding factors. And again, for the former type of listen, they are. They are binding factors. That's the unit and the background noise. But for a more attentive listener, and I think for, um, for anyone who really wants the theme to be perfectly represented in the music itself, those are not binding. That's repetition. That's, that's falling back on the same tricks. And it's, it's self-indulgent for, for an artist to sort of like, eh, just use this over and over again. They'll eat it up. If they eat it up here, they'll eat it up there. So... I think we're in average territory with this album. I don't think it's bad. I still think he's a very talented musician, especially for his age also. I think he's great at post-production. And I think that all of the... Everything basically works together in, in a way. It, the, its problem is that there are no standout-ish moments. Um, that's the stuff that is going, that's going to intrigue you as a list. That's the stuff that m- makes you want to, I don't know, get up, do a dance. If that's it, for one thing. And also maybe research more into the artist. That's second thing. Research more into other bands and pursue sounds that you are, are just enthralled by and gripped by. But you don't, you don't get that here. You just get a whitewash. Hence, it, it's a dead end, in a sense, for that type of listener. Um, but that doesn't disparage the quality and, and, and the skill involved and the instrumentation involved. He does a lot for one man. So I think this is really just a solid, like, middle-range um, average album. I, I'd put it at about 3.5. You're right in so many places, but there is one thing I want to point out. Um, stuff like Through the Grass, where he really did seem to culminate all of his ideas together shows mm. not just a, a quality of like post-production or anything like that it shows that this kid can do something amazing that he really can't do something that will set him apart from the rest because through the grass has all the good parts he did in all the other songs on this album it's got it's got lyrics it's got vocals it's got my bass i love that bass it's got drums with some flair to them the guitar work is not just a rhythm section. It's got some actual character to that emotional connection, a great range in the vocals. It's everything that he just kind of cherry picks for the rest of the songs that he chooses. Oh, I did this here. So that's all I'm really going to do here. And that's what hurts. I hear a lot it's, of back and forth. Yeah. Right now. Your premise led me to believe you were, you were aiming to be more lenient. And then I think you went uh, to and fro. That's because I'm kind of bouncing back and forth. But I'm not even. I'm not even 3.5. I'm 3.25. He's he's still just drawing too much upon the past to really be more than just slightly above average. Okay, um, I think we've made it pretty clear here where we stand with this record. Um, I don't really have a lot to add. I mean, we made it pretty clear between. The tracks and we made it pretty clear between the individual discussions i mean i feel like there's not a lot to say beyond what john and steve have already said other than there were a couple of really great tracks that i enjoyed all in all this is a three it's just a flat three it's average his talent is not average but the album as a whole rounded together with the highs and lows is average um, yeah, I don't know whether I'm overselling or underselling how much I really, really love uh, uh, track two yeah. and, and um, Through the Grass, track two and four. So, so for, 
for me, it's mostly, it's perfectly average. It's a three. I, I would equate this to some of the bands that we thought had less talent, but were also average because of the sound they constructed or the way they put it together. Some of those pop records we reviewed last year or the year before, I can't even remember now. I just, it's perfectly average. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. And he definitely has talent. I mean, there's no denying that. So that's where I stand. I definitely had moments that I hated on this album, mm-hmm. but obviously, you know, I had a lot of moments I loved. I, I still listen to Shadow regularly, and it, it resonates with me, but an album's a, a full piece, so you gotta take the good with the bad. I'll give it a three. Well, I still appreciate the discussion, and also, I always say this to guests who don't come uh, to the Crash Chords podcast with the ideas that they're going to bring us like the best thing in the world because that, that almost like lit, sets yourself up for failure. Not because we're the deciding factors on music, but because we're different people. So hence, you know, never bring your best. Never show all your cards at once. Always just bring something that you think is going to be an interesting discussion. And this turned out to be a very interesting discussion. We, we, uh, we gleaned a lot and we, um, we panned a lot. We did. All right. Uh, let's take a brief break and we'll play another one of Devin's songs from his band. Rocking back in my chair because I still love that face. What a waste. I'll never see it in motion again. What commotion, what you say? What is that emotion I can't display? What you say, what is that emotion I can't display? was actually my favorite track off the new EP Radio Fireflies called Commotion um, which I really enjoy I really it's just something about its unique structure within the record itself or EP whatever we're calling it I guess it's still a record um, within that with the, within the setup of the album because it's more or less in the middle but also it's just you, and this is what I like about your work is that the album doesn't have a flat out oh this is all the same you do something a little different on every track whether your voice is a little hollower, or you use some reverb, or you use some interesting composition, or you're not just strumming straight up, you're kind of picking and playing with the tones. And Commotion was one of those songs that was a little more mainstream-ish, but it had a beautiful flow in it, what I really like about it, which is why it's my favorite track. 
That said, and we already discussed your uh, band, Anxious Kids Make Good People, which I agree, as I was an anxious kid, as I believe we all were. We're all pretty good people, except John. He's terrible. <laughs> I'm a bad person. He's a bad man. I know. I, I was never anxious, ever. Fairly. You're I'm anxious. an anxious adult. Actually, you're, you're, yeah. You're, I was, oh, man, I was top of my game back then. I peaked. <laughs> you did peak. Um, but... <laughs> wow, well, I don't that's know. That's just where. mean. That's just yeah, it was. It was pretty layered mean. in, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, will, it was I, will, I will want to say one thing. Do you have a question yes. for our guest? I'm getting to that. So we discussed where your band name came from, but I want to know um, how early were you playing music? Obviously, you went to school for music. I assume, like Steve did. No, not necessarily. Oh, really? I said that at the very beginning. He oh, was, was a, a theater he was a man. theater major, and not everyone who came out of New Paltz was came as a great musician came out of the department. Um, when did you start playing music? How early did you kind of start playing with instruments? Well, I mean, I've uh, when I was six, I started wow. off with the. Oh, no, no, it's not <laughs> one of those prodigal stories at all. Uh, I got a really crappy Yamaha plastic keyboard. I'd go for lessons there and kind of you know take out hot cross bones, hot cross bones, and all that stuff. Never, yeah, never I had picked it up. I, uh, I had uh, books of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think everyone does. Yeah. But um, I played alto sax for ten years. Somehow didn't pick that up, retain none of the muscle memory, oh, wow. or anything else besides that. And when I was 16, I picked up my guitar, because it had been bought for me, and I figured, alright. You should play it. I should play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I was actually sitting on it for about a year at that point, I was just collecting dust. I and recall meeting you, and you had only played guitar uh, for about a year and a half at that point, you yeah. told me that, that number. Yeah. And I started writing songs as I was learning how to play guitar. So it's kind of been a co-tangent exercise for me. And that's something we really, really do not get uh, on the podcast um, that much. We have guests that have been playing since they were very little, not always writing songs since they were very little. A lot of times, like, the way bands begin or the way you formulate uh, something, you know, with, with your musical surroundings is, you know, you start off with covers. Right, and and while I think you probably... Did you have the, the cover experience simultaneously? Oh, a, a, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You gotta have you gotta have that, too. You know, you gotta pay homage again to what to what you love. But not... A lot of people stay in that. They stay in just the covers. It's just like, alright, they're, they're a cover band for the remainder. Um, or at least for the foreseeable future until they see themselves as achieving, like, like the acquired talent. But, you know... There's two schools of thought on this. Is like, well, does that just mean that you're postponing your your composition skills, your ability at songwriting? Because certainly by delaying it, you know, you're never gonna really, really get get better at it. You're going to essentially delay it until you're what thirty years old, and then you start off, and you'll think you have the musical background, but it's not always that simple. Then songwriting is an entirely new ballpark, and a lot of people can't make that shift. So I think uh, that was a very interesting avenue that you chose, and you know, it's bound to result in some like you know some some rocks in the road as you creep oh, up there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I mean this uh the CP I've released it's my 6th release. I'm basically releasing an album a year. And one of the realities if you're just learning how to play an instrument is that you're not going to be great at it from the onset unless right. unless you're, you know, born with immense talent, which I am not. <laughs> you know, you humble did, too. You you just you try to do a little bit better every time. And right. I'm I'm very happy with the current release. Cool. Yeah. And um, also considering you have uh, six albums, I noticed that only two other full-length releases are released on Bandcamp. Was that a choice on your part oh, yeah. to omit earlier <laughs> yeah, if, work? If you want to see that earlier work, which I do not recommend <laughs> by any stretch, 
but it's available. It is, it is available. Uh, generally, I keep that for friends and family. <laughs> That's truth, fair. One day, if I, if I like revisit it, remix, re-record. If you want to throw it on the internet, I recommend MySpace. It's <laughs> nice, out of the way, and nobody will ever go there without you pointing it out. Um, I think I've heard of MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny be, that... Might be before your time. It, it's funny that you mentioned specifically omitting those, because there are many guests that we've had both on this show and that I've had on, on the other show that talk about those older releases and how they purposely omit, omit them. Like, the first time I ever met Shay for the Dark Lord, who's been a guest on this show, episode... Oh, episode 115. He gave me, when I first interviewed him ages and ages ago for the website before it was a podcast, he gave me free copies of his second and third record. And I was like, oh, uh, what about your first record? He's like, you don't want that. It's crap. Like, <laughs> the self-awareness as an artist to not think that everything you put out as gold is important. It, it shows growth. And a lot of the artists that I've met through connections in the city have all have that kind of humbleness, which is important for growth. Humility, yes. <laughs> humility, that too. There you, there you go. Um, um, well, starving artists will have humility. Well, they're starving. <laughs> they have to have humility, I guess. Yeah. But I also do think that, you know, a, a certain sense of peer, um, peer review, I think that's also equally important. And sure. you really do need to create in order to, in order to achieve that, at which point you can sort of ask, well, how am I doing? How am I doing as I step along the road? And, and you not only did that by surrounding yourself with a lot of musicians, you... I did something that I know of no other other musician sort of having the balls to do. You sent your your music to an an established band, and I believe that band's <laughs> name was Wilco. Yeah, I I went to see Wilco in Rochester. <laughs> Never heard back from him because of, of course I didn't. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah. just the just the impulse to do it is fascinating. Yeah, what I, led you to that? Well, you know, I figured with any person who's sort of struggled as a musician and Jeff Tweedy, the lead singer of Wilco, is absolutely a man who knows human suffering mm. uh, if his music's any indication <laughs> um, no, 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 no they're generally willing to lend a helping hand or friendly advice to people who come seeking it mm. you know, I, I where believe, had you heard that out of curiosity? Uh, it's just, it's just common knowledge intuition, for people intuition, yeah. you know I believe in having the mindset of a novice and I forget where I heard that, but that's not me but never assume you're a master of anything, and always assume you have more to learn. Hmm, that's very interesting. I mean, I also the the kindred spirit thing probably helps uh, out. I actually have a, an anecdote of of a, a friend of mine who, granted, this wasn't this wasn't on on his own um, on his own volition. He didn't have the balls entirely. But there there was a a release for the band Scale the Summit, which is sort of like this big prog band. We reviewed them back in episode sixty seven. I think this was before we did that review. He attended a concert there. Uh, I mean, a concert, one of Scale the Summit's um, local concerts, and apparently they had this this call out that the bassist was giving out bass lessons, and he wanted to really, really broaden his range, because obviously, well, as a traveling musician, really, you can only, it's not, the two don't really go hand in hand. If, If you're on tour, how can you really have, like, a steady student? So he decided to kind of put out this call that, if you, like, I think do some sort of, like, raffle thing, you know, a, a, like, buy a certain number of t-shirts or albums or something like that, um, maybe I'm overselling it. I'm sure it was a lot more lenient than that. But there was some something put in place that enabled my friend to obtain a post-concert lesson from the bassist himself. And so he was able to, like, everyone leaves, and then all that's left is just the bassist and... And you, the the concert attendee, and suddenly now student, which I thought was one of the most like 
it's it's almost altruistic things you know that a band can do to make that level of fan of fan artist connection but it, it stems now into fan artists um you know instruction and you can actually start to kind of like make people follow along in your footsteps in in a sense and i don't really see that from a lot of bands very often education is seen as the kind of thing that that artists do when they're at their end when they're at the end of their game they pull their life from the music community and then well what's left yes i should teach but well, instead he chose to do that simultaneously and i think there's a lot of respect to him for that it also doing something like that can promote um an artist or anybody learning something to teach another person shows your own flaws and what other areas you may grow in strength um it's very very popular kind of an idea in uh, martial arts once you learn how to teach somebody you can you can actually become better yourself yeah and i mean certainly you had the right instinct in order to do that that's why i told the anecdotes because you know at the end of the day sometimes you really just have to have to trust in an artist especially if you know their work intimately then you probably in some sense know the personality sometimes we get a little too personal (laughs) doing these things (laughs) um so you mentioned wilco and submitting your music to them would you say they're one of your influences for your music style oh oh we're gonna get that yankee yankee hotel foxtrot is by far my favorite album of all time who would you say besides Wilco are some of your biggest influences for your music style? Uh, Morrissey, Marvin Gaye, Jimi Hendrix, wow, Led Zeppelin, uh, Fleet Foxes, Dr. Dog. I don't know. I, I kind of stretch across that last half century. Frank Sinatra, oddly enough. Well, all right. Yeah. I mean, I, can I see hear that. that in your vocals. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my you mom... have this kind of like rounded warmth to your vocal delivery, which sometimes you, you curb for certain phrases, but especially when you just want to like deliver something smoothly, a lot of times it you almost like curb the musicality, and I mean that as as a compliment uh, in this instance. Like it's it's meant to be relatable. Like you're just kind of trying to you know, caress the audience in, in, in a sense. Yeah, my mom's not the biggest fan of it, though. She always gives me guff about it. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Is your mother a musician? Or? Uh, she, she sang in chorus. Okay, so you know, she has... She, we come from a musical-ish family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But certainly, that's that's a, a comparison I would I would uh, equate to oh, Blue Eyes, you know, Frank Sinatra. That That's the... Um, that's just him all around, you know? He just... He steps out and he he relates to his audience and I don't know that's just why he's the favorite of all old Italian men yes. and and generations to come I'm sure but well, you know he's got his thing favorite of almost any woman and or the wife of Woody Allen so we hear so we hear <laughs> um, um the, the next question I wanted to ask is something that we've actually addressed on the podcast as a group and um I really think that it's important to kind of know where an artist is coming from and also what they're into besides just their influences. Um, if you had to pick a favorite concert you've ever been to, and if you think you can do that, what would that concert have been and why? Okay. Well, it would probably actually be that show. The uh, Wilco Show? Yeah, in Rochester. I, I went to this uh, venue. And it was this big earthen bowl. I went with my dad, who was like, in all things musical, my partner in crime. Like nice. he's he's basically taught me everything about literature and music. That's pretty and, much my father to a T as well. Yeah. And I don't know, Jeff Tweedy and Nels Klein, uh, they were doing Impossible Germany, mm-hmm. which is this uh, just amazing dad rock song. <laughs> the best way I can describe it. And it's got this uh, real jazzy solo. And when they do it live, Nels kind of just, they, they take him off the leash. And he yeah. just plays and he's just shredding. And it's just gorgeous and cathartic. I could see Jeff Tweedy kind of looking at him like, 
like waiting for him to like finish it up but he wasn't gonna say anything obviously right. <laughs> and it was this beautiful like little moment of like the audience is just losing their shit but jeff Foody's like no come, come on Th- it was like a bit. real moment on stage yeah yeah and they they played like a million encores you know <laughs> and the the set was beautiful uh cool so it was in the summer awesome excellent Very interesting let's move on to something else here because to go sort of with that sort of smooth vocal quality that you have, I noticed that when you step into the lyrics, there's also a lot of a lot of comedy in your writing. Sometimes, but not necessarily. Not it's it's not so much like it's not co- comedic music necessarily. It's more like your deliveries sometimes are so candid it seems wry in its way. Yes. Okay, so I'm correct because a lot yeah. of it, you know, I feel like that's a subtlety that could fool a lot of listeners. You know, you know, they might step into the music and they're like. Is he joking with me? Like, is this a lark? Or is this just his sort of uh, uh, post, you know, you have to have a humorous spin on what might be a, a, a sticky situation or depressing situation. And I feel like you kind of have to take that angle where a lot of artists would get so, you know, overly introverted and like really drench you in this, in this, uh, in this misery. Instead, you kind of like, well, you're headed down the slope, then you turn upwards just toward the tail end, and you offer this little one-liner that, you know what, happily summarizes the situation. I, it's, it's, it's something I noticed, and I, I wanted to know how, how, how conscious that is as you go through your, your songwriting. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I'm a big fan of literature, and I'm a big fan of, like, Morrissey. So that sort of tongue-in-cheek. Give me some literature examples, because that's important. Sure. Uh, I don't know. What, what's that uh, pamphlet on Modest Proposal? Oh, oh yeah, Modest Proposal. Sure. Jonathan Swift. Jonathan Swift. Oh, that's as, that's as sarcastic as it gets. <laughs> yeah. If, if we're going for satire, stuff like yeah. that. Uh, I like Kafka. Uh, I, re- I read The Trial recently. And so it's a sort so, yeah, of... You're steeped in that wry sense of humor that one has to have. Well, it's, it's a juxtaposition of tragedy and humor. So it's, you know, a tragic comedy. It's, it's not always supposed to be necessarily funny, but it's presented in a funny way. It's, it is supposed to be mildly uncomfortable. Certainly. Mildly uncomfortable in a way. It's like you want your audience to wonder, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, and I think that it not being that obvious is probably a, a really good thing. You know, you kind of leave this kind of air of mystique with, with that music. So you're not obviously being funny. You're not a, a comedy musician, but you're giving a little bit of humor that gives the song personality. It makes it very personal to you. It gives your personality. Now having had a conversation with you and actually gotten to talk with you, it fits the character of the musician that you are in your songs. Yeah, and, and that's that's ultimately my goal. I, I try not to have any kind of persona or image. You know, and li- life is complicated and people are complicated. Life is definitely complicated. So if, if we're going to view music as a reflection of what a person is, it should follow that it'd be complicated. That makes sense. Uh, that leads me into, um, I think, what is probably one of the more striking elements of your music, and that is its production style. <laughs> uh, I feel like perhaps I preempted this uh, this whole today's episode by, you know, the word, you know, uh, drenched in reverb, as you yourself tend to prefer it yes. considerably. Yes. Um, what has really, like, led you... I, I, I remember you... You know, as as a learning musician, you sort of were taking things, you know, as they come. You you uh, well, you started out what with GarageBand, and that was a lot of the way you you pursued post production style. Yeah, now and now I'm up the Pro Tools. Now you're there up you the Pro Tools. Nice, That's the next level. Yeah. Um. So what sort of like 
what inspires those choices? Because post-production is, I think, what's really going to separate your music from the pack at the end. Uh, on, on the face of it, a lot of folk can, can step out there, a lot of indie rock can step out there. Um, certainly the more, like, uh, the more speaking, uh, spoken word type of folk, like you might find from, like, Bob Dylan, let's say. Um, I think that's all elemental in your work. But that stuff, as a whole, is pretty clean and really avoided uh, uh, post-production, really wanted to just uh, portray itself as if it's just a guy on a stoop. And yet you really make conscious uh, attempts to pull it from that atmosphere and put your listener on another place. What is your what is your goal? What is your angle with all this? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not just studying to be a musician. Right. I'm also studying in, you know, live theatrical sound design. Ah. So, so part of it is a point of practice. There's a couple different factors that go into it. Uh, one of the things is just a practical reality. Uh, I live on Main Street in a small <laughs> mountain town, so all the traffic is going through that one street. So all these tracks, actually, they're of less than ideally recorded. Uh. But I have a creative justification for it, ultimately. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we live in a time that sort of, where popular music is sort of the construction of artificial practice. Autotunes, effects processors, compression. Mm -hmm. Any, anything you hear on the radio, anything that people are really digging, it's not genuinely what it is. So I approach it from the satirical, overproduced way, but try to keep the element of earnestness in it. So you're saying that you almost, you perceive, do you perceive that as a, as a fault, in a sense? That, that music is sort of turned around in that way, and, and we put almost too much emphasis on it, therefore you're going to provide almost the, the satire uh, on the music element, and I mean, the I, way pop pursues it? I don't know if I have the authority to declare what is a fault in music. Authority, but, authority is not the, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I the think job it, of an artist. I think it's just a, something observable and something that's kind of funny. All right, all right, no, that's an interesting take. Um, do you have any influences in that, or is it really just like from from the gut at that point? It, do you have any post-production influences in that question? When I'm actually doing post-production, I try to, you know, keep a couple basic rules of thumb, like, you know, literally stuff as simple as like, okay, you go compressor, then limiter, and you gotta put the EQ before that. But, but no, I, I, I don't try to draw from other people's books. I try to very much avoid... Uh, direct influences from other people, if I can. Uh, well, even even just like from your listening influences, from artist influences. Well, I mean that that's unavoidable. But yeah, when okay. I, when I'm making choices, I, I try not to like you know. I know the the old adage is great artists steal, crappy artists borrow. Yeah, yeah that's a good. You know, that's that's fair. Well, I heard that. But but I, I try to avoid that exchange as much as possible. Well, it comes yeah. through in your music, hands down. I mean, of all the records I've listened to, the ones you've made available to us, at least. Um, <laughs> I hear that. It's unique. I mean, like I said, it was almost to the point where I first heard your records. I was almost put off. I was like, what is this? Like, I don't get it. But but then I kept listening because I was intrigued because it was different. And that's important. And again, especially on the newest EP, from track to track, you try something different. And they all work in different ways. The cohesiveness is in the ability to hone in on something unique. And I think that's something we don't see a lot. Whereas in today's album... It could have been anywhere because it was so samey. I feel like you have more versatility because the difference from track to track gives you the same kind of nature as the album today, but with more versatility in your work. There's more that, that expectation that if you listen to a track by Devin Jackson Mullen, it's going to go in a place you didn't expect. 
It's more that, that, you know, that you wait for the twists. You wait for the wry sense of humor. You wait for all those little things. Um, what are your plans for the future? <laughs> I mean, I'm graduating college. That, that's my most immediate plan. True. We're, we're, uh, we're perhaps being a little too harsh on our, on our, our uh, artist of review today, considering, you know, more of comparable age to yourself. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a young buck. <laughs> like him. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. It, it, it was up in the air. I sent out job applications uh, all over the country for sound engineering positions. And great. Didn't, didn't, nah, not great. I didn't hear back from any of them. Yeah, th so, they're, they're tough. They want to hear. They, they, they need, you know, proof that you've, you've been in the position before and that you've worked under I, you know, I, I, various I companies. I got a bunch of shows in my resume. I got a KCTF oh, cool. award. Awesome. Uh, Is that stuff uh, you've done with, with theater? Yeah. As a theater major also? Yeah. So you you were more in the sound design uh or, or sound management section of theater sound design sound yeah, design correct. right uh, while also acting uh i kind of dropped the acting oh you dropped the bit. acting yeah i'm you know I, I did stuff here and there but that that really wasn't my prerogative interesting for most of the years here yeah all right so sound that that weight that puts a lot more weight on that post-production discussion than anything else because all of a sudden now you're 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 doing it in a professional sense and it's not just in the privacy of your own domicile so yeah yeah, great. But, but I mean, ultimately, I, I feel like I'm uh, in the same position as a lot of young people these days. I, I don't have a definite uh, destination. I've got a secret to tell you as someone who's old enough, older than you, that you don't need to know how old, how much older, because I've already dated myself on this podcast several times. <laughs> um, everyone does that. I don't know many people who struggle with figuring out what the hell to do after college. I've only found my stride with the website and with my professional day job career and my my side job of doing sound tech for for Burlaskin for shows. That all came within the last couple of years and I'm in my 30s. You'll find it. Just you got to look and you've got talent here with the music so i think that's a good avenue to explore and to keep pushing especially since there are a ton of venues in the city to 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 perform at um and i think you could make a career of it but don't worry yourself on oh i don't know what to do because there are people sitting at this table who still have moments of i don't know what to do it happens and you will find your niche it's out there especially with the internet it's much easier um i want to thank you for coming on the podcast it was great to get to meet you and to bring us such a Surprisingly mediocre album, but some, <laughs> but some great music from yourself. Um, before we wrap up the show as a whole, I will, of course, have Steve do our weekly spam mail. Wow, that was unusual. I just wrote an in-very-long comment, but after I clicked submit, my comment didn't appear. Grr. Well, I'm not writing that all over again. Anyway, just wanted to say, fantastic blog by smslen-se.com. Thank you, um. SMS. I will say, I actually prefer this short form work over the long form that I'm assuming they were trying to give us beforehand. It's much more concise and it flows a lot better than I imagine a longer, more bot-driven comment would have been. I blame myself for this because I made a joke about critiquing the spams and now John consistently does it. Sometimes I talk over him, sometimes he gets it all out. I like to go Cisco and Ebert like hardcore on the on the. Now that you're yappy yappy yapping, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Next week we are doing something that kind of fell into my lap. I heard it on the radio, liked it, loved it, went for it. Stephen Wilson, and his uh, next album, his newest album, his fourth studio album, Hand Period, Cannot Period, Erase Period. It's it's mm. it's the periods are there. I have to enunciate yeah, I know. You and got pronunciate. It, you got it. It's quite important because it 
it seems like there's going to be a statement to be made in this next album. It seems like there's going to be a statement well, to be made. Well, he uses huh? three sentences to describe the well, title. Well, I can tell you album. this. I'm very surprised that you picked a Stephen Wilson album because I, I know about Stephen Wilson, and he's widely considered to be the poster child of Prague. That was part and of the description. Pop Prague. I, I was curious. I won't spoil it, but I, I recently found that this is an album that crosses into a, a an interesting subject matter, and it relates with a news story that happened more than a decade ago. But you'll have to wait till next week for that. All right. Well, before um, we have our guest, as always, do our sign-off, again, I want to thank you, Devin, for joining us. Um, and um, I want to preface that his final, uh, the final track that we're going to feature is a track from his previous record, um, which was titled... Purple Kids. Uh, Purple the track Kids. is Purple Kids, but what's the album? Nation of Conformists. There we go. That's it. So will you please deliver our sign-off? Remember, folks, music is life. Life is good.
enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.